This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. People have been moving to Colorado for our beautiful outdoors for as long as there's been a Colorado. But not everyone gets to enjoy it equally. One of the research that I found out is that in Estes Park, the only day that black people could go into the shops until about 1954 was on Thursdays. So all surrounding Lincoln Hills were segregated towns. About an hour's drive west of Denver, Lincoln Hills has been a respite for black people for 100 years. During its heyday, black folks from all over would come to Lincoln Hills to enjoy one of the country's few black-owned vacation destinations. And to celebrate the centennial, I'm speaking with past CityCast Denver guest host, Donnie L. Betts, who produced a beautiful documentary about Lincoln Hills. We're also joined by Donnie's friend, Gary Jackson, a retired judge whose family has owned property there for generations. Today is Wednesday, March 23rd, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Mr. Gary Jackson, how are you this morning, sir? I'm, I'm doing fine, Donnie. How are you? I'm doing great. You're looking good. Well, you are too, except your beard is getting whiter and whiter. Oh. You're catching up with me. Yes, I am. <laughs> Gary Jackson and Donnie L. Betts, welcome to CityCast Denver. Uh, it is my pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, well, thank you for having me. I should say, Donnie, welcome back. You're an old friend of the show. Well, I appreciate that. So, Donnie, actually, I, I would love to start with you. You produced this whole documentary about Lincoln Hills, and you come at the story from sort of an outsider perspective. What made you really want to dig into the story and the history of Lincoln Hills? You know, I've been thinking about that, what actually got me first interested in Lincoln Hills. And I had to go all the way back to when I first arrived in Denver. That was the director here, the late Diane McDaniels, who got me interested in Colorado history, and particularly black history in Colorado. So we talked about Deerfield, we talked about, you know, O.T. Jackson, we talked about uh, the different people who are very instrumental in the founding of the state of Colorado. And in doing that, she introduced me to Lincoln Hills. And when you get introduced to Lincoln Hills, you can get introduced to the different families and individuals who are part of that. So I was interested in the fact that this was a resort, you know, the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, when so many people thought that uh, black people didn't recreate. But why not? So Lincoln Hills, to me, was always interesting because you knew about Martha's Vineyard and uh, places like that, that black people would go and recreate. But here in Colorado, here we are once again always breaking the mode and changing people's narrative about what they think about the state of Colorado, especially when it comes to people of color in Colorado. So that made me want to dig deeper into it. 
Gary, Donnie mentioned these family connections, the families that really were at the beginnings of Lincoln Hills. Can you tell me about your great-grandfather? Well, my great-grandfather, his name is William Pitts. His mother was an enslaved woman. His father was a slave master. This was in Missouri. He learned how to read and write. He learned the trade of carpentry, but he came to Colorado in 1919. The reason he came to Colorado in 1919 is that he had a son, Walter, who had been injured in World War I. He had been gassed. And as a result of those injuries, he was in Fitzsimmons Army Medical Hospital. And so my great-grandfather would have come to Colorado to visit him. And upon coming to Colorado, he felt that there were better opportunities for a black man and a black family than there were in the uh, segregated uh, South, the segregated Missouri. And he um, had the uh, money to be able to buy six lots in North Cherry Creek, as well as buying several lots in Lincoln Hills. It was called the Lincoln Hills Country Club Development. It was actually incorporated to be the site for black ownership of property, and for black people to come from all across the country. Because at that time in, in the 1920s, the Colorado population for, for black people was relatively small. So in order for uh, the Lincoln Hills Country Club development to be profitable, homes uh, or lots, I should say lots, had to be sold to black individuals from across the nation. And I think at the time that it was fully developed, there were about 1,100 lots that were open for sale. And so uh, my great-grandfather, he built our family cabin. He built several other cabins uh, for for people to buy. So that's sort of a a summary of my great-grandfather and how he arrived in Colorado and had the vision which I think is really important. He had the vision to buy property in North Cherry Creek as well as uh, Lincoln Hills, the only black-owned recreational area west of the Mississippi. Donnie, I, I, I'm just thinking about Lincoln Hills being, again, one of the only black resorts in the country. What What is Denver's role in this? Like, why here, beyond our access to nature, our closeness to the mountains, what would make Denver a place for black folks to come versus, say, St. Louis or something to to recreate? Well, I think you said it. We're so close to nature. It's so beautiful here. And uh, I think Gary said it too, is we have to make our own way out of no way, you know? So, uh, yeah, city folks were were what we were used to in a lot of cases, but a lot of uh, black Americans came from a rural environment, you know? Uh, You have to think about after uh, Reconstruction, we were a landless people looking for land, you know? So they grab those land whatever they could, you know, whether it be uh, in Lincoln Hills or Denver or uh, Mount Bayou, Mississippi, uh, Nicodemus, Kansas, and so on and so forth. And so they always had an opportunity to make something out of nothing. And I think the connection to Denver is because Denver also had its own dark history of segregation as well, too. So where, how can we get out of the city to have some peace, some peace from that discrimination. Just just have peace and quiet. And as Gary said, they came from not just Denver, 
but from Nebraska and Kansas and Missouri, and it was the place to come. It was the place to come because it was beautiful there. The air was f- fresh and clean. You know, you could have people that cared about you. I think that's what it was, too. People cared about you there, you know, and the families cared about each other. So I would think that's why uh, the camp was so popular and stayed that way for many years. Yeah. So, Gary, how did this thing get started back in the 20s? Was it like a word of mouth thing or did people how did people find out about it? At the very beginning of the development of Lincoln Hills, it took a lot of marketing with the black churches. Mm. So um, like Shorters or, or New Hope, those were two congregations that uh, uh, would come up to Lincoln Hills uh, on a Sunday for a barbecue, would come up on holidays uh, to with their congregations to utilize the resources of Lincoln Hills. Also, the importance of that Kansas City, uh, Missouri Railroad line uh, that brought uh, black people to Denver, too, as employment. You brought in the military and, and um, that sort of thing. But also, that brought a lot of people, too, especially to Five Points. You know, uh, the Pullman Porters and the nurses in that area were some of the founders of that area that also recreated in uh, Lincoln Hills. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. And we can't talk too much about Lincoln Hills without talking about Wink's Hamlet. He built the Big Destination Lodge that became known as Wink's Lodge and was a major booster for Lincoln Hills. Donnie, what do you make of the man at the center of the Lincoln Hills story? He was just this, I would say this super entrepreneur. And Denver had a real history of black entrepreneurs at that time. You had, you know, the Barney Ford. And Wink's followed in that mode. The opportunity to now have property I think that we had to keep emphasizing that, the having something up of your own and then able to share that with people. Sure, you can make money and everything off of it too, but I think Winks really wanted to have people enjoy themselves and love that, that area as much as he did. I mean, I, that's what I've gathered from my research. Well, look, well, let me tell you about Winks in terms of... Uh what I thought was important other than being a super entrepreneur, he was a leader. And when I say he was a leader, he became a leader in the Gilpin County community. He would work part-time at the post office. He would be uh, a, a ranger for the Forest Service. So, um, you know, because uh, Lincoln Hills was kind of isolated, the sheriff of Gilpin County if there was a problem or a disturbance, uh, didn't want to come 
into the Lincoln Hills area because of the vast area of Gilpin County. So he deputized Winks Hamlet to be a deputy sheriff. So if there was any problem or disturbance in Lincoln Hills, Winks Hamlet could take care of that. And so his connection was the, with the government was widespread. And when I say that, on his property, there was a two-seater outhouse and there was a brick barbecue. Both of those were WPA projects. In other words, if, if you're familiar with the WPA, that was a federal government-supported uh, work project uh, between right after World War I, where Winks, because of his connection with the governmental service, was able to get that two-seater outhouse built on his property, as well as the uh, barbecue pit uh, that was the brick barbecue pit that was built on his project on his property. So, to me, that demonstrates uh, uh, his leadership and his ability to his people skills. Well, and the WPA connection is interesting to me because the Works Progress Administration was a result of the New Deal. And when we think about the New Deal uh, projects that it funded in Colorado, we think of bigger things like Red Rocks was was one of those things. But the fact that Winks was able to direct some of that to Lincoln Hills or to, you know what I mean? Like that does speak incredibly to his connections in the world and his ability to navigate these social situations that involved politics. So that just gives me a whole different picture of this. That's incredible. Well, another picture that, that you need to think about also is the visitors that would come to Wink's uh, Lodge. You know, Donnie has talked about the uh, poets and the writers, but there were people also like Whitney Young, Let's say that he was going to go to Aspen for some type of think tank. And Whitney Young was the National Urban League director, the father of Lauren Castile that you guys were talking about earlier. But he would uh, stop off in Wink's Lodge. Pam Greer, the actress, uh, her mother used to come up to uh, uh, Wink's Lodge and, uh, and uh, enjoy the activities that were going on in Wink's Tavern, because it was Wink's Tavern where there was the music, there was the dance floor, there was the slot machine, there was the ice cream parlor. So that was Wink's Tavern that was connected with Wink's Lodge. Gary, you're kind of describing a little bit of it now, but I would love for you to share some of your experiences at Lincoln Hills as a kid. What did what do you remember most? What what did you love to do or, or see there? Well, my first memory of going to Lincoln Hills and our cabin as I had to have been four or five years of age. But we have a photograph of my brother and I playing on uh, a big rock about 10 yards east of the cabin. We are skipping rocks in the, in the south uh, Boulder Creek. We are wading in the ponds that are just to the west of, uh, of South Boulder Creek. I can remember as a teenager getting a Daisy BB gun and having that BB gun and target practicing and uh, shooting that, that gun at uh, chipmunks and uh, birds that uh, should have been aware that there was a teenager out there with a, with a BB gun. Um, but I can, I can think of so many experiences throughout 
my life that um, that I would go to our cabin with friends, whether they were teenage friends or whether they were college friends or law school friends. And then uh, one of the things I will always remember is 2008 when we had the Democratic National Convention. And there were delegates from across the nation that were coming here to nominate Obama for president, to run for the, uh, uh, as a Democrat for president. We had um, a, a barbecue gathering up at our cabin where there may have been uh, 50 delegates from across the nation an opportunity to uh, learn directly and, and have the peace and the calm and the ability to uh, enjoy the Colorado wilderness at my cabin. So these type of experiences, for me, went from the ages of four or five up to the present time. Not many of us have that, you know what I mean? Access to this place in the same spot that our family, you know, it has roots in itself and the fact that you could bring other people there and... Well, to me, it's a part of the American dream. Yeah, and the the Colorado dream, thinking about your great-grandfather, like, it's like what everybody thinks. You want a house in the city and a house in the mountains. He did that Absolutely. 100 years Absolutely. ago. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, the American dream is the American dream. It's not just the dream of white people. It's the dream of black people also to have our own property, to be able to create our own wealth, to be able to create a space where we feel safe and comfortable, to be able to have uh, something that you can uh, create a legacy for your own grandchildren. So one of the things that Donnie will know is that whenever I'm at the cabin, the very first thing that we would do is we would put the American flag out on the deck that would let people know that we were there at the cabin, and if you wanted to come visit, come by and visit, because the flag would be flying. Donnie, what is the Lincoln Hills of today like? It's um, it's different. It still has some of that spirit. You know, since many of the uh, people like Gary and his, and his family still own the cabins there, but you know, there's also you know the big development of a fly fishing lodge. The new owners are trying to carry on some of that tradition by working with uh, young people. They're working with um, wounded veterans and that sort of thing. They're giving them opportunity to go to the outside. Uh, they're giving young people a chance to be in the out, outside as well, too, with horseback riding and fishing and just um, anything, recreate. It's called Licking Hills Cares is their foundation. And I think they're trying to carry some of that spirit on. I mean, uh, they have a new big lodge there and everything, but Wink's Lodge is still there, uh, still operating. Um, there's some be some things done there this summer by History Colorado. Uh, try to have some of the owners come in and tell the stories that Gary's telling now and record those, that sort of thing, which I think is great. Um, so the story lives on. I mean, this is not a, a, a dead story. This is a very living history that uh, needs to keep being told over and over and over again. Well, very quickly, this is the 100-year anniversary of, of the development of Lincoln Hills. And so this story is still ongoing. It's still vibrant. Uh, there are still black owners of cabins in Lincoln Hills. So I feel uh, a great deal of gratitude that we've come a full circle in terms of 
what Lincoln Hills meant in 1922 and what it means in 2022. It is an oasis for black people. Donnie L. Batson, Gary Jackson, thank you so much. This was so enlightening and wonderful. I appreciate both of you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And every time I listen to Gary, I always come back with some fat between my ears because he's giving us some new knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) I mentioned that Donnie Betts produced a documentary about Lincoln Hills. He'll be screening that and hosting a Q&A at History Colorado on April 15th as part of their ongoing celebration of Lincoln Hill's 100th anniversary. Then, on June 3rd, Gary Jackson will be there for a talk about his experience and research into the Lincoln Hills story. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. It's our birthday week, and we wanted to share some of the nice things that you, our listeners, have said to us, like Jackie, who says the show gives her, quote, a taste of Denver's history while also discussing important current events. When I mention things I have learned on the podcast to my husband, he often says, you're going to know more about Denver than I do, and I grew up here. If you're like Jackie and you enjoy CityCast Denver, the best birthday present you can give us is to rate the show five stars wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, and subscribe to our wonderful morning newsletter at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye-bye. Did she just say no fries for you? Megan is harsh. (laughs) I like it.